You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Antonique Smith, and welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We have a special episode for you this week. Last week, if you tuned in, you heard a piece of an interview Reverend Yearwood did with Nathan Phillips, a Native American elder who stepped in as a peacemaker after the Indigenous People's March at the Lincoln Memorial on Friday, January 18th. A situation between four or five black Hebrew Israelites and a large group of Covington Catholic high school boys was escalating. Let's listen to a bit of this moment of conflict as dusk was settling after a historic gathering of indigenous peoples in our nation's capital. You can hear Nathan singing and drumming, and you hear the jeers and the taunts of the Covington Catholic students. And if you haven't seen the videos online, they're easy to find if you search Indigenous People's March on YouTube. If you have seen the video, you know the disrespect and the taunting and the way one student in particular, Nick Sandman, got in Nathan's physical space, staring him down with an awkward grin. It's a deeply disturbing scene. The boys are all mostly white. Many are wearing red Make America Great Again hats, and they just had attended the March for Life, a gathering of anti-abortion rights activists. The boys yell, quote-unquote, build the wall, among other things, at Nathan, a Native American veteran, seemingly ignorant to the fact that they live on stolen land and that their faith has a dark history with Native Americans in this country. Today, we have interviews with Nathan and three important leaders within the Indigenous Peoples Movement, Chase Iron Eyes of Lakota Law Project, Keese IMC, an award-winning recording artist and cultural activist, and Phyllis Young of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. We also talked with Father John Deere, a priest who has spent 40 years advocating for nonviolence within the Catholic faith. First, let's discuss what Indigenous Peoples March was about. Here we have Rev talking with Chase and Keese about 36 hours after everything went down with the Covington students. With me uh, in the studio, I have two fine brothers who I've actually known for quite some time. Now, Chase, I'm not going to give you the long uh, introduction that I gave before, um, <laughs> but let's start with you. Uh, Chase, Iron Eyes, let the folks know who you are. Kula Iyuha Ichichia Wakokpesh Nimani. Himacha yalo na imacha titua lakota makoche emataha. My name is Chase Iron Eyes. I'm an attorney with Lakota People's Law Project. I am in, enrolled, you know, since 1889. We've got these tribal identities. I'm enrolled at the Standing Rock Nation, but I'm currently living on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And we're having a tough time all over Indian country because of the shutdown. We came all for different reasons out to the inaugural Indigenous Peoples March. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it, it ended the way it did. But luckily, you know, we had people there uh, to protect our elders outnumbered. They were outnumbered more than 10 to 1. But Brother Keese right here was there. Uh, I was there uh, lurking in the background, uh, waiting for my daughter. And uh, anyway, we just we just want to make sure that Nathan Phillips our Omaha veteran elder 
who's a contemporary of Leonard Peltier. Mm. I spoke with Leonard Peltier last night and I mentioned Nathan Phillips' name. Leonard Peltier knew who he was immediately. Oh. He, he sent his, his words, his voice uh, in support of Nathan. And Raymond Kingfisher is another one of our elders who, who was there at, from Ocheti Shakoni to Ocheti Oyate. And it's everybody at the Indigenous People's March knows each other from Standing Rock. Like he brought us all together. Mm. Anyways, I'm just uh, honored to be out here right now and to be sitting in the studio with you guys. Humbled to be here. Uh, like you said, my name is Keith IMC. Noah Akitaro, Natata Chikso Eriwe Tura, Hesaku Kirati Kuskitui. Hidimahi, in my Chikso. I feel good to be here. I'm a, I'm a Pawnee, I'm Skiri Pawnee. And also a, a part of the Chawi band of my Pawnee people. And uh, I'm also Seminole. I'm Nogazi, Bear Clan of the Seminole. Those are my two tribes. And I'm also Mexican, you know, so I, I show love to my, my indigenous roots from down south. You know, it makes me proud. So first, I, I want to get to the incident. People have seen um, what happened uh, to Nathan Phillips online. And we're going to get to that um, in a second. Um, but first, I want to actually get to what brought us all here in the first place in regards to the Indigenous People's March. Uh, the Indigenous People's, People's March took place on January 18th. Um, and this was kind of the, 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 the mission behind that. They stated, we are uniting the Indigenous people across the world to stand together, to bring awareness to the injustices affecting Indigenous men, women, children, and two spirits. Indigenous people from North, Central, and South America, Oceania, Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean are a target of genocide. Mm -hmm. Currently, many Indigenous people are victims of voter suppression, divided families by walls and borders, and environmental holocaust, sex and human trafficking, and police and military brutality with little or no resources and awareness of this injustice, we must unite and help and march. Mm -hmm. So Chase, when we gathered for that, tell us what that was and why it was so important for the indigenous community and families. We said we are all relatives to come to Washington, D.C. on January 18th to proclaim this injustice and stand for our community. I think we are all facing the same struggles, the same existential crises. We're facing water shortages in Johannesburg, in South Africa. Gaza is about to run out of water in 2020. We're facing the same colonial forces that have separated us from our sacred relationship with our food, the waters, Mother Earth, mm. even the cosmos. The Indigenous Peoples March is meant to be global. It's meant to be inclusive of all spirits, hearts, and minds who have suffered at the hands of that colonization. Hmm. We have all been colonized over the past 5,000 years. Even what we think of as white people in Europe have been separated from their sacred. They've had their sacred stolen from them. Our spiritual movement needs to inform these other institutions of politics. There, there are two new Native American congresswomen. Deb Holland was at the Indigenous People's March, Sharice Davids, and then we have a young sister named Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's become the unofficial spokesperson for the Green New Deal. Indigenous nations have been hollering about the Green New Deal for thousands of years, mm. and we feel an energy coming alive. Yeah. And, and Ocasio-Cortez said she ran, her, her impetus was and is Standing Rock, that explosive gathering there. I, I was with Keith September 3rd when they used deadly force against all of us, and he put himself in harm's way. Like, that's, that's the spirit that we walk with. Sometimes that's our vote. Our vote is our willingness to sacrifice either our lives or our freedom or our bodies in order to push the entire global community into a, a more civilized direction. So Ocasio-Cortez is just as important. The, the, the spectrum of indigenous resistance and liberation goes from Leonard Peltier, who's, who he's been locked up as a political prisoner for longer than I've been alive. It goes from Leonard Peltier to 
the current president of the National Congress of American Indians, Jefferson Keel. Mm. We even had a brother, what's his name, Lance Gums, marching with us from the National Congress of American Indians at the Indigenous People's March. Deb Holland was there. Ashley Collingbull was there. And then we have water protectors who a lot of times they go unnamed. Part of this is to return to let the world know that we're all of that. Brother Keats, mm-hmm. um, when you were there, let the folks know what happened. So we were sitting there just visiting and talking. And then my bro walks up, Nim, Nemesis walks up to, uh, I, I'm see, I see him over there, walks over to, uh, to Nathan. And uh, Nathan was over there by the, the our, our uh, black relatives over there who were posted up. And uh, my, bro, my bro told me that uh, Nathan wanted to sing. So my bro was like, yeah, man, take my drum. So my bro gave uh, uh, Nathan uh, his drum to sing. And right then, that's when it popped off. Mm. I look, I said, what's going on? And, and uh, the white dude said, oh, man, those guys, and those, all those youth, man, they, they got uh, those are Trump supporters. I go, damn, for real? Let's go over there. So we walked over there. Man, they just started chanting, just loud. Who, who, who was chanting? The, uh, the students. Okay. The, the students from the, yeah, the, the Catholic mm-hmm. students uh, were chanting, going off, going hard, like they were at a homecoming game. In secret, in in mm. sequence, yeah, just knew what they were doing. So I walked over and I said, I watched. You know, I wanted to observe. Let me let me scout this real quick. Let me see what's going on. Because I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna watch, and I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna scout, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what I could do to maybe help. You know, is there anything I could do? And I thought, you know what, man, man, we should sing. We should just start blasting. Our drums are loud. We can sing loud. Let's just use that. Mm-hmm. Share that energy. And I know Nathan wanted to sing. That's a singer. We align on that. I said, what do you want to do? You want to do? Let's sing. I was like, all right. But right before that, I picked up my phone and I started recording. Mm. And when I started recording, I, I was I was looking at our, our, our black relatives over there, man. And it just, you know, like, just like kind of like, there's really nothing they could do. You know, you couldn't overpower the the, the, the numbers that they had, the students, because they had a lot of, they were like what, 150 of them, mm. you know, blasting. And all of a sudden, I, I turn my camera over to the the, uh, the the Catholic students. This kid walks from the top of their group. They're like, yeah, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Walks to the top, walks down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat there and watched him. Takes off his shirt. Takes off his sweater. Takes off his shirt. You know what he starts doing? He starts doing the haka. Mm. A sacred New Zealand Maori ceremonial tribal war dance. He did the haka. And I looked at it. I said, wait a minute. I know what that is. That's the, they're, they're trying to do a haka. And I, at that point, I'm like watching on my camera and I'm like, are you serious? And the only reason I know that is because I got a relative who comes from a line of chiefs in New Zealand. And I, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, yo, this is crazy. And they were all going, ah, ah. It was the haka. I looked it up. That school appropriated the haka and they call it the sumo chant. Hmm. So they're appropriating the Maoris and the Japanese. Hmm. (laughs) Meanwhile, disrespecting our black brothers and then totally disrespecting us. Hmm. Catholics. Not all, maybe, I don't know. But there's a lot of them that are being taught at home or wherever. So at that time, that's when Nathan makes his way over there. And we walk over there. And I'm like, all right. And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get my bag. And I go over there. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll just be right here next to him. Anything's, anything goes down, I'll be right here. So we, we get over there. And he starts singing. So I start singing, helping him. He starts blasting. He starts blasting, singing, singing over. He starts singing the AIM song, mm-hmm. the American Indian Movement song. And as he's singing, he starts walking, you know, just slowly walking like that. And, then and tell folks what that is. Explain what tell that them what they, Go ahead. Yeah, uh, it's a song from the 1970s. It, it has no words. It's just rhythm, harmony, and vocables. It's meant to be intelligible, regardless of what language you're born into or what your demographic or background is. We can all learn to sing the AIM song. And, you know, that same spirit of liberation that Crazy Horse lived with, that every all of our brothers and sisters of the American Indian movement lived with, that's still alive today. And, and Nathan was singing that song, the AIM song. Wow. So y'all walking up. We walk up. He's blasting the song. Over and over and over. And he's just walking. Walking. And that's when they surround us. Everything you could hear, man, they were saying it. They were dancing around, like, you know, imitating an Indian dance. <laughs> right. Laughing. 
like hysterical, like a mob, like a riot mob. You know, in today's society, they would be like, oh, those are just, you know, those are just some wild kids, you know, because they're white. You know, but here we are walking and they surround us. And I said, all right, I just started praying. But the whole time I felt at peace. Mm. So everything's going to be all right. Because I was pulling from that beauty and that peace and it just happened. That Huda Waduksti had already taken place. That sacred, that land had been made sacred with all those prayers from what happened at the march and the rally. So no matter what they did, we're going to be all right. All we got to do is utilize this drum and these songs and the spirit is going to work. So what happens when that spirit comes? It moves through people. So as we walk in there, where are we? We're in the middle of a circle. They're surrounding us. We are the center with two drums. That's ceremonial. They thought they were in their space. They were in our space. We started touching them through that drum and them songs. And then the ancestors came and started moving. And that song, Nathan, he kept singing it over and over and over and over until eventually they started singing the song with us. Mm. And when they started singing the song with us, they didn't realize they were singing the song with us because they didn't realize what was happening. They didn't realize that they were being touched. So when I saw all those little white kids in their ignorance start singing with us, I knew that that spirit was moving. And I knew that's exactly where we were supposed to be, in peace. All we had to do was be peaceful. We didn't have to react in the way that they do. That's the enemy. That's how the enemy operates. Wants us to react. Wants us to be destructive. Wants us to do something that make everything bad. But it was so beautiful what those women did for us all day at that march. Healing us with their words. Reminding us who we are as men. Sing hard. Pray. Everything will be okay. And that's what the world needs to see. And as we sang those songs, slowly the energy shifted. Till finally, literally, they said, man, let's let's go, guys. Let's go. Are we ready? And they all just dispersed peacefully and we all walked off and as we pulled back and we came back we walked by our our, our black allies or our brothers they may not know it there are relatives too there are indigenous relatives too they said did you see that spirit that spirit that drum man just made him leave it's that drum that frequency it was beautiful brother mm. it was powerful so Chase would in the spirit of Dr. King, since we were there, he says, where do we go from here? Community or chaos? Because you're seeing both what's happening now online mm-hmm. and what was recorded. And you're seeing as we are the children of our ancestors at this moment, as you're speaking to not only to this generation now, who is not only fighting for equality, but they're fighting for existence. Where do we go from here? I think we're we're greatly strengthened by the spirit of Dr. King, by the spirit of Malcolm X. Mm. We're also strengthened by the drum. The drum is a gift. The drum is the foundation of hip hop. Mm. Somehow, the black liberation lives from Africa all the way to here. And what we witnessed at the footsteps of the Lincoln Memorial them brothers were black Israelites hmm. and, they, and they were preaching their word. And they also consider us to be lost tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need to receive their message in love too, mm-hmm. knowing our truth that we descend from mother earth, from this very hemisphere. We, we don't know if our history is 20,000 years old, a million years old, 2 million years old. We have creation knowledge that places us here during the ice age, mm-hmm. that's 2 million years old. It's the great mystery. And we're all seeking that truth. Yep. Our, our spirits are naturally inclined to seek that truth. And that first, it's a spiritual liberation. And, and we're constantly working for it. And, and with us, there's no art imitating life or life imitating art. 
our art is life and life is art. We're living it every single day. And I, 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 I felt Nahinchi, Nahinchi Hemachayelo yesterday. I felt nervous and scared and, and like something violent was going to go down. Mm. It felt like they were ready to lynch somebody. Mm. I have that on film and I didn't know they were doing the haka, but I can see it now. I filmed that whole incident there where that young brother took his shirt off and started slapping mm. his chest. Mm. They were just doing these disruptive, yeah. aggressive displays and they were hanging around there for a while. Yeah. Keith, Nathan, uh, Raymond Kingfisher, they, they were, they were, and I was hanging out waiting for my daughter and they were, they would not stop <laughs> singing. They were just hanging and holding space. They're holding ground. Oh. And them, them Israelites were preaching their message. We get these people coming to our door all the time. Jehovah's Witnesses and all sorts of different faiths coming to our door saying, mm-hmm. look, let, let us share the truth with you that you are the lost tribes of Israel. But we're older than the lost tribes of Israel. You know what I mean? And we just need to respect each other's truth. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. This this movement is never going to stop, and you can see it taking many different forms. Yeah, and there's energy there, and it's available there. The truth is there for all of us. Yeah, and and we are responsible for taking action to f- fulfill those prophecies. You know, our action in our word is our prayer, and sometimes that's that's all we have. Mm. Nathan came here with the shirt on his back and the gas money that he borrowed to get here. Mm. Nathan Phillips, that's how he came to Standing Rock, too. Yeah. I mean, when I met him in the dome, the brother had, you know, wakbanicha. He, he didn't have any material things. Mm. He was coming to get blankets, a jacket, you know, luckily. And he's an elder. And he's a contemporary of the founding of the American Indian Movement. He comes from a long line of peacemakers. And, and I caught that, too, you know, and I, and I understood that when people were saying, why didn't you guys do something? Who was there? There's tens of thousands of you guys there. Where were the warriors at? Well, to be honest, I'm on probation right now. And I was kind of hanging back, knowing the only way I'm going in there, because we're about to get attacked violently. It, it, there's an angry mob. Mm-hmm. They, they charged us with inciting a riot for doing way less than that yeah, at Standing Rock. Yeah. And this, this young kid cut off and, and interrupted Nathan Phillips' space. Mm-hmm. And, and Nathan just stood in the power of his peace. Yeah. He was channeling the energy. And, and it was permeating the area. And those kids were impacted. When I looked at them, though they were adolescent and they were physically capable of exerting force or violence, they're young children. Mm-hmm. Impressionable minds that somebody is guiding them to that. And they had on the MAGA hats to make America great again. Trump is talking all this smack all the time about Pocahontas, using a, a victim of child rape and kidnapping as a way to throw a racial slur at Elizabeth Warren. He makes light of the Wounded Knee Massacre, trying to use our genocide as a punchline. Like, I come from a family that literally survived the Wounded Knee Massacre. Five of my family members, five ironizes, perished there at Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. So when Trump is using this, Brother Keith just said, Look it, sometimes they don't know that they're in our space. Mm-hmm. That's why we have to stay strong spiritually. Yeah. We have to keep an open mind, open heart, and just stand in that strength. That strength authorizes us spiritually. We're, we're not able to turn cheek. If you look at Nathan, he never turned cheek. Mm-hmm. He never retreated, and he never aggressed. He just stood in the power of his peace. And, and that's not passive. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we're, we're overtaken, you know, at Standing Rock, there was a lot of violence coming at us and we were never armed, but we still offered our bodies to protect what's sacred and what's right. And that's, that's where we're going with this, whether or not they know it at, at the house of Congress, the halls of Congress, their politics, their economics, the logic in institutions of capital, their jurisprudence, their systems of law and order. They don't even have a place to protect or consider water as sacred. Hmm. They don't have a place to consider, you know, deforestation or species extinction as part of the calculation of our gross domestic product, our gross national product. The way we think, the way we're doing things is completely out of balance. Hmm. But the, but as long as we stay strong and, and we, re, we return to our ancient ways and adapt them, evolve them, share them, 
try to empower others. We can we can light up the darkness. And in recognizing that, you know, sometimes the darkness is a part of us. It's not a, it's not a good or a bad thing. And, and we need to share that with the world because we're we're at risk right now. As far as I'm concerned, our children might not have clean drinking water. We might not be able to pass on a healthy ecosystem to them. And we need to do all we can. And, and, and if that means, you know, I got to face prison, that means Keith's got to put his body in front of a bulldozer. There's hundreds and thousands of people who are willing to make that sacrifice in a good way. Indigenous Peoples March worked from Hip Hop Caucus's office in Washington, D.C. in the days leading up to the march. Here's Chase on Facebook Live with the Lakota Law Project at Hip Hop Caucus as the organizing team is working on the march. Are we live? We're live. Oh, wow. Okay. We're about to go in. Uh, we got permission. And we, we're now coming out to... We're, we're inside the Hip Hop Caucus right now. And this is, this is just so legit that we have a DC presence and it's centered around hip hop. Hip hop is a spiritual movement. It came from the struggle, and it's an, it's an expression. It's people singing their song, letting their voice be heard. Anyway, there's, we're marching for several different reasons. You know, part, part of the reason why we march is just to bring that tribal national voice. You know, people that have been written off are classified as primitive or uncivilized or antithetical to how the West is defining and imposing what they call civilization or progress on tribal nations. Now, we have a lot to add to the world scene in this country and in other countries, and and we need to stand in our truths. We need to speak our voice. Everybody here is, is... marching for different reasons, but we all come together in D.C., and these guys are cool enough to let us come into into the, the war and peace room, into the strategy room. It's quite prophetic that two days before the march, Chase describes the spiritual nature of hip-hop as a culture built on the oppressed singing of our songs to express ourselves and make ourselves heard. Because now we know... It was Nathan Phillips, an elder, stepping up as a peacemaker, singing a very important song that has now caused a spark that has brought us to this painful but true moment on race relations, respect, and rights for indigenous peoples and MAGA, Make America Great Again. Listen to Nathan explain what he felt and heard and saw and feared that caused him to have the courage to put himself in potential harm's way to resolve a situation peacefully. I'm here with Nate. You're here for the Indigenous People's March. The whole world has seen um, the interaction with the students from the Covington Catholic. Tell them what happened in that that instance. It was uh, a disturbance over there on the the mall and... uh, we were over here for our Indigenous Peoples March, and at the end of it on Friday evening, uh, there was a group of folks, they called themselves the Lost Tribe of Israel, and they were there doing their their soapboxing, and so we mostly just ignored them. Uh, a few folks was listening to what they were saying, and, you know, they're, they're telling their truth. Then, uh, a group of young people who were in attendance of the Rights to Life march uh, started milling through our area. And from the first uh, group that witnessed what the Lost Tribe of Israelites were saying, and, do, and uh, they took offense to it, and from there it just escalated. And it was a uh, racism, you know, just straight up, you know. These young people, they they didn't like it for what was being said. And uh, there should have been somebody there to help uh, help those young people understand, you know, what what we're doing here in, in America. It's like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, you know, that was our, our national monument, our national mall. And it's a place where people go and, you know, do their speech-making, you know, people want to go out there and express their views, that's what it's for, you know. 
So then when these young guys, they were, you know, going back and forth and and confronting these, uh, these uh, the, the Israelites, the last tribe, it started escalating to a point where there was a mob of them, over 100, maybe 200 people say it was close to 250, you know. There was a lot of people on that mall, you know, and a lot of young men in those red hats. And it got to a point where, you know, mob mentality would take over. You know? And there was a, a moment there, one of my relatives said, we got to do something, we got to do something, Uncle. And I thought, well, what can we do? It's not, it's not our, you know, it's one of those things, if you see something going wrong, do you walk away, do you turn away? You know, you see something, you know, what I've seen was youth of America running headlong off a cliff, you know. They were, and these are our, our future. This is our future. You know? So when I stepped out there, it was, a, it was a prayer, you know. Took the drum, took my song, and went to go sing. And, and it wasn't to, like, really heal anybody, but it's just to... Something had to be done. It's the only thing I knew how to do, is pray. You know. Here, this mass of young men was getting ready to descend on these four individuals, and, you know, we were talking about earlier how, you know, lynchings happened in this country. It wasn't too long ago. And that's what this, this mob of young men looked like. They looked like they just wanted to hurt these guys. Here, I'm standing in between them and their focus, all their anger, all their hate was focused on these four individuals. And here I'm putting myself in front of that. If somebody didn't do something, there could be that point of ignite. What if those hundred plus young men descended on those four, four, four black men and maybe beat them to death? It was, it was that at that point maybe they hurt these guys and we're waking up today we're th- instead of you know what I did what they did maybe they hurt those black men maybe they murdered them on the, on, 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 on the national mall as soon as the video clips went viral and the nation watched in horror with people of all backgrounds including the left and the right condemning the behavior of the Covington Catholic schoolboys a Kentucky-based crisis PR firm called RunSwitch, with close ties to CNN, was hired to represent Nick Sandman and repaint the story of what happened. We should note here, the Indigenous People's March and Nathan Phillips have not had any paid PR firm throughout the march or this whole incident. A small, dedicated team of volunteer organizers have been managing media inquiries for him. With the crisis PR team moving to action for Nick Sandman and the Covington students, on January 20th, two days after the march, CNN's Jake Tapper shared a three-page statement from Nick and the narrative started to shift. Focus was put on the idea that the initial video didn't show, quote-unquote, the full story. And the harsh words that the Hebrew Israelites were yelling at the teens was their justification for feeling under attack and, and responding with aggression. Those four or five Hebrew Israelite men had also been very offensive to the Native Americans, shouting racial slurs, but they were also standing in one place. They weren't posing any physical threat. As Nathan, Chase, and Keese all shared, they were doing their soapboxing on the National Mall. And yet the boys, numbered up to 100 or more, and their chaperones allowed them to respond, retaliate, and escalate. Blessed are the peacemakers. Nathan Phillips was a peacemaker. But the hyped-up boys from Covington Catholic High School saw a Native American elder sharing his method for peace, for their and everyone's benefit and protection, as a person, a culture, and a tradition to be mocked and threatened. And with the workings of a well-connected and well-paid PR firm, prominent figures started withdrawing their initial reactions of horror to a softened and understanding stance toward the boys. Megan McCain's initial statement about the incident in a tweet that has since been deleted was, I am absolutely disgusted by the mass of students' disrespectful and vile treatment towards Nathan and Native 
Americans in general. Bigotry is bigotry is bigotry is bigotry and should always be recognized and condemned. Those students could learn a thing about respect from him. But by Sunday night, when Nick's statement was released by Tapper and CNN, she retracted her statement and shared on Twitter, My friend, Robbie Sove, is one of the best journalists I know. I, like many others, have reacted too quickly. Apologize for being part of a media pylon. Please read his piece. His piece is titled, The Media Wildly Mischaracterized That Video of Covington Catholic Students Confronting a Native American Veteran. And then President Trump weighed in. Let us remember that just two days prior to the Indigenous People's March, Trump took aim at Elizabeth Warren by once again mocking Native Americans. And this time, he mocked the massacre of Wounded Knee that left around 350 people on the Lakota Pine Ridge Reservation dead in 1890. Further, White House General Counsel Pat Cipollone is an alumni of Covington Catholic High School, class of 1984. On Monday, January 21st, one day after Nick Sandman's PR firm puts out his statement, President Trump tweets, Looking like Nick Sandman and Covington Catholic students were treated unfairly with early judgments proving out to be false, smeared by media, not good, but making a big comeback. Quote unquote, new footage shows that media was wrong about teens encounter with Native Americans at Tucker Carlson. And then the next day he tweets, Nick Sandman and the students of Covington have become symbols of fake news and how evil it can be. They have captivated the attention of the world and I know they will use it for the good, maybe even to bring people together. It started off unpleasant, but it can end in a dream. So now, just a few days after the incident, the machinery of white supremacy is in full gear. And without an ounce of shame, Nick Sandman and all the boys who were there participating in this mob and their chaperones have all evaded their responsibility in this moment. Listen to what Nick says of his responsibility in his interview on the Today Show with Savannah Guthrie. Do you feel from this experience that you owe anybody an apology do you see your own fault in any way? As far as standing there, I had every right to do so. I don't, I, my position is that I was not disrespectful to Mr. Phillips. I respect him. I'd like to talk to him. I mean, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away and avoided the whole thing. But I can't say that I'm sorry for listening to him and standing there. Let's now come back to the history of the Catholic Church and indigenous peoples in this country. Native American boarding schools were established in the U.S. during the late 19th and the mid-20th centuries to assimilate Native American children. These boarding schools were established by Christian missionaries of various denominations, including Catholics. The government paid religious orders to run these schools. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the Bureau of Indian Affairs founded additional boarding schools. Native children would be taken from homes against their family's wishes, their hair would be cut, they wouldn't be allowed to speak their languages or use their own names. Their identities were stripped from them. Nathan himself was taken from his home at a very young age and put into an abusive foster care situation. He shared with us about what it was like at 16 and 17 years old and how it led him to enlisting in the Marines. So when Vietnam times was happening, I had a choice of either staying in an abusive foster home or joining the Marine Corps. Neither one was really good, you know, but I chose the Marine Corps than staying with the foster family. About two months before I joined the Marine Corps, that's that winter, I was, well, I just turned 17 in February, so I was 16 when winter hit, and I'm standing over my adopted family's bed in the middle of the night with the shotgun they gave me. And I'm trying to figure out which one am I going to shoot first. 16 years old, I'm, because of what the pain they caused me, that's, that's how deep it was, you know? 
it just and, and and my heart goes out to my my youth today who are 15 and 16 I don't want them having a gun and looking at somebody to shoot but they're they're, they're committing suicide suicide is 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 running running rampant on in our community What, I, I, I don't know the difference between how I felt then when I was 17 and how kids are feeling today, you know. What kind of, what is it that they see in the future that they don't feel like they want to live to see it? You know, that's, that's, the, that's what we've got to change. That's something we've got to change. Is when these children are looking at the future, that they see something there that they want. And that's that's what I want. I always wanted to for those 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 kids that were there. I wanted them to have a better future. I want them to see a better future. You know, I don't want them looking at people of color and having that response. I don't want them feeling like they have to build a wall. You know. Where's that is so and then build that wall, that's what these young people are saying. Do they have any idea what that is? What that you know, to cut ourselves off from the world? Yeah, I don't know. The PR machine is working to discredit his service in the military. But we asked him to discuss what his service was like in his own words. As far as military goes, um, so person of color in the Marine Corps, outstanding Marine. During my boot camp times, during my uh, training times, I had... uh, I had an instructor come up to me and say, hey, you'd be perfect if you was white. You know, so it's like, I'd be, you know, I can't just be perfect. I can't be an outstanding Marine. I gotta be white to be outstanding. I gotta be white to be perfect. You know, so that's, that's how my military service went. You know, it's like, it's just right at the beginning, you know. I always had this, Somebody out there thinks I'm not good enough because I'm not white. You know? How many other of my relatives, my brothers, uh, brothers in arms that I wasn't sure who I could trust. So yeah, there's the uh, there is the uh, military service, and I am a veteran, honorably discharged. But well, I don't talk much about it. It's just, you know, our treaty obligations say that we stand for this country. You know, that's, that's part of our our obligation, honoring our treaty, is that we honor our treaty. Father John Deere is a Catholic priest who has been advocating and campaigning on nonviolence for over 40 years. He has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize multiple times, including by Desmond Tutu. He is an author, and peace and justice and climate activist and respected theologian. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You were at Standing Rock when Hip Hop Caucus was there. We know you can't change the past, but, you know, we we can do better now. And there is a current relationship with the Catholic Church and indigenous peoples. And in this moment from the Covington Catholic High School moment is it, becoming a defining moment of that relationship. What would you tell people of your faith about the contemporary movement led by indigenous peoples? You know, Jesus was totally nonviolent. Christians are called to be totally nonviolent, yeah. to practice universal love, to be blessed peacemakers. We have a long, dreadful history of violence, colonialism, imperialism, and racism. All of that has to be thrown out the window. We have great examples of how to do that from Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. King. And the time has come to recognize 
well, first of all, to repent of the history of violence, especially to the indigenous peoples, and to make serious restitution, and then to, um, well, you know, you could say it in so many ways, but I would say, as I have been, and I've been trying to practice it in my own life, to listen to the indigenous leaders. Yeah. And that's what that parable, that uh, it was such a symbolic encounter there at the Lincoln Memorial, because nobody was listening to Mr. Phillips. But we all need to listen to the indigenous people who actually have the only hope for us on the planet, which is return to Mother Earth, yeah. be one with the creatures and each other. They've known that long before Jesus. Um, but anyway, I would just say uh, we all have to stop our violence toward one another and ourselves and the earth and learn the wisdom of peace and nonviolence from wherever we can find it, mm-hmm. especially indigenous and, and our own tradition. And we all have to be converted to the life of peace and love. And that is not happening by and large in Catholic high schools um, in some Catholic parishes, where it's happening around the world in the Catholic community. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good happening, but not in the United States. So with that said, one of the crazier aspects is that all this went down on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And Dr. King, as we all know, was a leader who effectively used nonviolence to create change. So tell us about how you and others are working to bring nonviolence into the Catholic faith what that means, and and tell us how, if the Covington boys had been trained in nonviolence through their faith, how this whole situation would have turned out different. Well, theoretically, theoretically, since you're asking me, every Catholic and Christian church, high school, university, and institution in the United States and in the world is first and foremost only a school of nonviolence. Mm. Yeah. That's all they should be doing yep. is training people to be like Martin Luther King. Yeah, so and, uh, and and that, of course, is how you can. It's maybe the only way now we know how to be like Jesus. We yeah. have the shining example of Dr. King. Okay, so every kid, therefore, has to be totally nonviolent to himself, to his parents. They're studying the history of nonviolence. They're learning to be nonviolent, respectful to each other in the classroom. Now, I'm not kidding. I'm very serious about that. That is the sole point of a Catholic or Christian school. And um, in the first three, I know this is a lot, but in the first three centuries, that's what they did. Mm. In the early church, Jesus, everyone knew he was nonviolent, mm-hmm. was killed by the empire, and anyone who was baptized and followed him pretty much got their head chopped off. Yeah. And then in 315, the emperor took over Christianity, said you can all kill now, you can all join the empire for 1,700 years, we've thrown out the entire gospel of nonviolence. So what the, how the kids responded is what it's been like for 1,700 years. And for me, it was the hats that did it, Make mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. That, you would, that never wear a hat like that. And you would not only not align yourself with the Republicans, you wouldn't, forgive me, but align yourself with the Democrats. You'd be aligned with Dr. King. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jesus, we have the most progressive pope in history. In I my love, yes, he's. The, I call him the people's pope. <laughs> yeah, and um, he's in a lot of trouble. And he's uh, the progressive stuff he's done has not made it into the mainstream press. Yeah. He's made huge things. I can't believe they haven't killed him yet. Yeah, and um, I was in touch with him immediately. He knew he would know who I am. Uh, the as a, as a Jesuit, it's a small world, and um, he wrote me pretty soon after becoming pope and, and commented on my works on nonviolence. And I wrote him back, and we started agitating for a meeting. We had this historic event in the Vatican two years ago uh, with eighty people from around the world, over fifty nations, to attend. You either had to been under constant death threat your whole life, spent a lot of time in prison, as I have, or personally ended a war. Wow. And um, the Vatican, much to our shock, just opened all the doors and said, tell us what to do. And they asked me and a few friends to write the Pope's annual peace statement, which came out last year, was called Nonviolence, um, a style of politics for peace. It's the first statement on nonviolence in the history of the Catholic Church. Mm, So now we're going back in April. And um, 
the Vatican's paying for a lot of us. And there's going to be another three-day conference. We hope to meet with the Pope, and we've been asking for an encyclical on nonviolence. Now, you may remember five or six, four or five years ago, the Pope issued a, a kind of a book. It's called a, a Global Letter, an encyclical on the environment mm-hmm. called La Dato Si, which was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And um, it helped a lot around the world, um, pushing people to uh, stand up to work to stop catastrophic climate change. Yes. And, well, now we're trying to get them to do the same thing about nonviolence. And it would say, well, we, we've drafted 120 pages, um, been working on this constantly in preparation for this April meeting, that say that, as I just said, every school, every university, every parish, every institution in the Catholic Church around the world, and any institution connected to Jesus, has to be nonviolent. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody hurts or kills anybody. No one participates in war, any systemic violence. And gives their lives for the grassroots movements of nonviolent social change, as Dr. King said. Mm-hmm. And the Pope, Pope Francis said all of that in that statement. People want to go look it up. So strangely enough, more is happening right now in this difficult, terrible moment in history that's good and hopeful in the Catholic Church than ever before. Wow. If we get into cyclical, then it's very, very different because it will be totally global and it would mean every Catholic institution on the planet has to renounce and repent of its long centuries of violence and practice and teach the violence of Jesus and form young people to build, to pursue a new nonviolent world. And that gives me hope. Yes. And that's given me hope too. Thank you so much, John. Nonviolence and and the stance that the Pope has taken on on climate change together will work together and save so many lives and bring so much needed peace to this world. While Father John Deere is sharing a perspective on the Catholic faith that could begin to heal and begin to advance justice and peace, the question is, will the Covington Catholic community evolve to such a place? Here is Nathan talking about the non-apology apology from Covington Catholic. This was the one on Sunday following the event on Friday, so two days after. They said the, the Catholic Church has offered a, a, an apology. I've heard that twice today, but I haven't heard it from them. You know, I've heard it from a reporter saying, what do you think? They apologized. Oh, they did? When? To who? Oh, it's out on the press. It's out on the news. Oh, they apologize to somebody on the news, to the public, but not to me. They tell, they'll tell you, oh, we apologize, especially to Nathan Phillips. But if you hear it and you're telling me, is that an apology? I don't, I don't know. You know, it's the bishop of the archdiocese of the area and he's the one who said that nobody from his office has called me, reached out to me so, oh Mr. Phillips we, we apologize they just put a statement out and it's not that I can accept it or not accept it because it hasn't been given you can't force people to respect you know? the respect just has to be there they have to it's something that is taught, you know. And if these children's parents haven't taught them to respect people of color, you know, maybe this this uh, event might be that thing that will turn a person's heart, turn a person's mind, you know. I don't know. You know, that's, that's going to be them, you know. And the ones that it does change and they do see, you know, where they were wrong, you know, they need to forgive themselves for that, you know. They got to forgive themselves, you know. So where do we go from here? As a nation, as indigenous peoples, as people of color, as white people, as Catholics, as young and old, it should not be lost on us that this all happened on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, on the very steps where Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech. Rev Yearwood also spoke with Phyllis Young of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. 
and an important leader of Standing Rock, who was in D.C. for the march. She has ideas and a vision for where we go from here. I'm a woman who stands by the water. Um, my American name is Phyllis Young, and I'm a member of the Hunkpapa i Hunktua, um, bands of Lakota and Dakota Nation. Um, I come from Standing Rock, and I uh, was part of the organizing for um, the Indigenous Peoples March. Praise and honor to to Martin Luther King, who gave his life the ultimate sacrifice for his path to freedom. I was here in 1968 and 1969. I, I was here, I lived in D.C., and in 69... There was an immediate call for a memorial day for him on the day of his birth or the day that he, um, that some sort of holiday. I like it that there is a memorial on his birth date and his born date. And that's real significant because it, it gives us Indian people incentive to begin um, acknowledging the birth and the beginning, because we only have a beginning. We don't have an end in our society, in our circle. It's forever. So looking at that, I, I get inspired. I come from Dakota territory, where we were probably the last part of North Dakota to have a human rights council. So I look forward to this disengaging the doctrine of discovery with the Asians and uh, the blacks and the Indians because the papal bulls, with their statement, when they began um, discovering their discovery uh, doctrines, saying that we were, I guess it's their, their Christendom that they created, and those objectives were to put the papal bulls forward saying that slavery was legal, that we were in fact part animal. So the black people were depicted as three-fifths human being and one-fifth animal. We as Indian people were not even in the constitution and we were not owners of property. So the papal bulls say that we as part animals cannot own property. So we have defied that over the years, but I would really like to begin intense dialogue and discussion and dismantling and defiance of the doctrine of discovery. So I look forward to that inter intellectual discourse. And to close, this final thought from Nathan on what it is for us to follow Indigenous people's leadership to save our planet and our communities. It's what a lot of people say, that the indigenous way is going to save the world. Now, I, I haven't really quite understood that until lately, you know, but so many people are coming to hear our, our stories, our histories, and how we maintained ourselves for a millennium. So when they do come back to... What we do, we have protocols, we have ceremonies that go with these things. It's like here today, before we started this, we had ceremony, you know. They put a, you know, star quit on me, they put protection on me, you know. They honored me, part of our protocols, you know. I didn't expect it, you know, I wasn't looking for it. But I had to be here and stand here and let that happen. You know, in a good way, you know, it's like, so for the young people there, you know, to stand in adversity without hatred and anger in your heart, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to, that's what I was doing. You know? I didn't want to face those young men with anger and hatred because it was already there. Well, man, my brother, on behalf of Hip Hop Caucus and Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, and this all your friends and family, yes. you know, we love you and we thank you and we thank you for your for your encouragement. Thank you, brother. Hip Hop Caucus. There it is. There it is. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think 100 Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us, and if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100.